0: Good morning all, I'm Janelle. I'm going to be bringing us the Bible reading this morning. So if you'd like to grab your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Psalms uh, chapter 18. Um, And there'll be two Bible readings this morning, so I'll be doing the first one. So uh, Psalms chapter 18 uh, and verses 4 to 15. I'll give you a minute to find it in your Bibles. Okay, so Psalms 18, verse 4. The ropes of death were wrapped around me. The torrents of destruction terrified me. The ropes of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. I called to the Lord in my distress, and I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the mountains trembled. They shook because he burned with anger. Smoke rose from his nostrils and consuming fire came from his mouth. Coals were set ablaze by it. He bent the heavens and came down, total darkness beneath his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place dark storm clouds his canopy around him. From the radiance of his presence, his clouds swept onward with hail and blazing coals. The Lord thundered from the heaven. The Most High made his voice heard. He shot his arrows and scattered them. He hurled lightning bolts and routed them. The depths of the sea became visible. The fountains of the world were exposed at your rebuke, Lord." At the last at the blast of the breath of your nostrils.
1: Morning all. Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Job, and it's looking pretty good. So we'll start at chapter 38, reading verses one to fifteen. And it says, The Lord speaks. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have any understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket? When I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place? When I declared you may come this far but no further? Your proud waves stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn in its place so that it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. Its hills stand out like folds of a garment. Light is withheld and the arm is raised. Its violence is broken then we move on to chapter 40 and it's verses 1 to 5 and the lord answered job will the one who contends with the almighty correct him let him who argues with god give an answer then job answered the lord i am so insignificant how can i answer you i place my hand over my mouth i have spoken once and will not reply Twice, but now I can
2: add nothing. Well, good morning again, every person. Let's uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for the book of Job, uh, long and, and challenging though it is. And Father, we pray now as we come to look at this passage where you speak, Father, give us ears to hear, give us reverence. And Father, we do pray that you would comfort us and challenge us, perhaps in a surprising way. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that drives me crazy is when people don't do their jobs. That if they just did their job, everything would be fine. You know, you're driving home from drive-through and they've forgotten the sources Or they didn't put salt on the chips. (laughs) Or they successfully delivered my package to definitely not my house. Or they added up the numbers wrong. Or they charged my credit card twice. Or sorry for the inconvenience, I always get confused between the less than and the greater than symbol. (laughs) Yeah, but that's your job though, isn't it? And it just means that either I have to just let it go and deal with the, just put up with it, or I have to do even more work to get things done that they, someone else was supposed to do. And it's very frustrating. We all know how annoying it is when people just can't do their job and then we have to do it for them. But it can be way more annoying it can be absolutely crushing and devastating when the person who can't seem to do their job is God himself. You give him your life, you trust him, you, you bust yourself and you try so hard to do it his way and it all just collapses around you into a big steaming pile. And you think to yourself, I'm not sure that he knows what he's doing. I'm not sure that doing it his way is the best way. And I'm pretty sure that if I just had have done it my way, it would have turned out better. And maybe you've even been brave enough, tempted to say it to him. I did it your way. I tried so hard to be obedient to you. And this is how it ends up. You ever felt like that? Over the last few months or so, we've been in the book of Job and we've, been, we've seen Job wrestle with those kind of questions. You know, the bottom of the shopping bag of his life has fallen open and all the bits of his life have just rolled out into the gutter. And he's left wondering, does God even know how to do his job? I could rule the world better than him. And Job has this building, creeping dread that maybe after everything that's happened, maybe, maybe God is not good after all. At another church I was at, I had a friend named Chris and uh, his life just totally fell apart. Everything just fell to... Pieces. And I remember I was in a cafe with him and uh, he looked across and with tears in his eyes, he wasn't crying, but with tears in his eyes, I asked him, how, how does all of this, what does this meant for how you think about God? And he looked at me, I'll never, I'll always remember this. He looked at me and he said, I, I think that maybe God is still good. I just don't think he's good to me. You ever felt like that? Job's accusation to God was that he doesn't know how to do his job. And what we're gonna see today, this morning, is the first part of God's response to Job and the question of whether or not he can do his job and whether or not he might actually be good or not after all. And the way that God answers this question might not be the way or the answer that you might have expected. It might not be the way or the answer that you might have answered. And I I think the answer is a bit unique to the book of Job. From the very start of this whole series, we've said that the book of Job is a book about trust. Suffering is certainly the main thing that happens but the book's not about suffering the book is about trust it's about faith it's about patience and endurance it's about God being compassionate and merciful James told us that the book of James the big question of the book has been is God trustworthy and how do you know is he good is he just and can you trust him And so before we jump into chapter 38 and we enter the conclusion, I just want to remind us of what we've seen. What is Job and what so far has it said? So the book of Job is a wisdom book. The point of it is about helping us to live well, live successfully in God's world. And throughout this series one of the things that we have said over and over again is that Job is a complex book and that's true it is sophisticated and it's subtle but underneath all of that sophistication there is a simplicity to this book underneath everything all the speeches and the poetry what drives this book are three principles and and two issues and in my opinion if you can grab hold of these three principles and those two issues then the whole book sort of opens up to you so here's the game the game is there are three principles and only two of them can be true we'll put them on the screen the first principle is that job is innocent principle number one simple Principle number two is a bit more complicated. It's what I call the misunderstanding proverbs principle. It's the idea that rewards and punishments are simplistic and they're immediate. You do a good thing and you get a good thing. You do a bad thing and you get a bad thing. And it's simple and it's immediate. And you can reverse it too. If you've got a good thing, it must have meant that you did a good thing. And if you get a bad thing, it must have meant that you did a bad thing. You, you get what you directly deserve. That's the misunderstanding Proverbs principle. Third principle is that God is good and just. So those are the three principles and the game is only two of them can be true. And so you have to choose. The friends, they chose principles two and three. Job is not innocent. Rewards and punishments are simplistic and they're immediate. God is good and just, therefore Job is not innocent. Whereas Job assumes that principle two is true and he knows that he's innocent. So he chooses one and two. Which means that principle three is under threat. Sure, God is powerful, God is the creator, God is sovereign, sure, sure, sure. But is he good and is he just? And and the book wants to point out that it's actually principle two that's wrong. But if principle two is wrong, And if rewards and punishments are not immediate and simplistic, then that means that you have to wait and you have to trust. But is God worthy of your trust? Securing principle three is what's driving the book. And so those are Job's two issues. Is God good? Number one and is God just, number two. And so here we turn up to Job chapter 38, and in chapter 38 and 39, God tackles issue number one, the question of, is he good? Next time, chapters 40 and 41, he's gonna attack the justice, fairness question. Today, goodness. So from chapter three up to chapter 37, There's been conversations and poetry and back and forth and people talking. And finally, as Terry already said, today God turns up. Job chapter 38, verse 1, if you still have it open, says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. (laughs) This is a big moment. The Lord has answered Job. His... Job's long lost friend has finally arrived, but he answers him from the whirlwind, from the storm. We had read out a little, a little snippet of Psalm chapter 18, where the Psalmist writes about God coming to rescue him and bring salvation. And, and he's, he's being saved from the power of death and Sheol and God comes as a warrior. He, he comes in the whirlwind, in the storm. Often when God turns up in the Old Testament to rescue, save his people from the evil forces that are oppressing them and, and, and to liberate them from chaos and death and, and slavery, when he turns up, he often turns up in and with a storm in and with a whirlwind. In the the Old Testament, God appears in the whirlwind. When he appears like that, it's as the divine warrior dressed for combat to fight for and rescue his people from oppression. Back in chapter 9 of Job, Job had complained and, and, and cried out to God, that God had battered him with a whirlwind. But here, God answers from the whirlwind to signal to Job that yes, Job has enemies and he needs to be rescued, but that God is not that enemy. God is his friend and he has come to rescue him. But so then, what does God then say to Job? Well, you know, how is God going to respond to him? Verse 2, he responds firmly, but with gentleness, I think. Verse 2, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you'll inform me. Where were you when I established to the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. And on and on he goes. Now, God certainly does point out that Job has been speaking from the top, from the summit of stupid mountain. Yes. But for the kind of accusations that Job has thrown at God, it's striking how mild and restrained God is with his answer to him. It is possible to read this response with a bit of attitude, with a bit of sass in God's voice. Where were you? Were you there? Certainly you know. But I I don't think it's supposed to be read that way. Yes, there is challenge here. Yes, God is being stern, but God is not hostile or mean or condescending to Job. It's almost like he's treating Job as a person who is worthy of engaging with. That's how I think it's being put. And God's answer to Job is a series of questions. And the answer to every question is basically not me, but you. I was not there, but you were. I do not understand, but you do. I don't know, but you do, the whole way. And while God does ask Job a whole lot of these questions, they can be basically split into two vibes. The first vibe is from verse four all the way through to verse 38, and it's about the goodness of creation. Creation is even more good. It is gooder than you think it is. Which you might think is a strange thing for God to say to the suffering Job, but that's what he says. God describes creation with these architectural terms, cornerstone, doors, measuring line, foundations. And the point of that language is not just, God is very powerful. Yes, he is. The point of it though, is to say that he is very attentive and precise. But even more than that, the point of it is, that creation isn't the wild, chaotic mess that Job thinks it is. Verse 6, Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Feel how happy that is? It's very happy. When the cornerstone was laid, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God, these heavenly beings, they they saw the whole thing and shouted for joy. It's very happy. Job had a very dark, dim, gray, meaningless, numb view of creation. All the joy, all the sunshine, all the color, all the music had been drained out of it, right? Everything tasted like ash from Job's world. And that's no no criticism of him, by the way. I, I can't even imagine what the world would look like if I lost what Job lost and then had to look out into the world and see what it looked like. But everything looking overcast and desaturated is understandable. All he has are the shattered pieces of what used to be everything to him. So, yeah, it makes sense that the world looks to him a certain way. But God wants to help Job have even a glimmer of perspective that while, yes, From Job's genuine perspective, the world is dark and numb and tasteless. From God's perspective, which is much bigger and wider and longer, God has a happier view of creation. Job only sees a a teeny tiny shard, a sliver. God sees the vast Whole, the entire maze, and his all-encompassing view on this place that he has created since the beginning of time. God's view of the whole is much more joyful than maybe Job ever suspected. Job's view is is true, but it's. Teeny-weeny. And so is it possible that God's perspective of life and the world is closer to being true than the perspective that you and I have? Is it possible that that's true? Is it possible that the world is happier and gooder than you and I might think it is? Because God says to Job and to us, gently, but firmly, but still with warmth and compassion, he says to Job, dude, you don't know as much as you think you do. Mm -hmm. There's more goodness going on than you can see or notice or even register. You see it all throughout this whole bit, but let's just look in on one example. Verses 8 to 11, God says, Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket. When I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place. When I declared, you may come this far, but no farther, your proud waves stop here. As you might know, the Israelites and other ancient cultures around them, the sea and the ocean were symbols for disorder and chaos and evil and suffering and death. We saw this in Genesis, we saw it in Jonah, and it's hard for us to get our heads around it because I think for us, the ocean and, and the beach is just deeply ingrained that's a place of fun and holidays and relaxing and people and fishing and floating and water skiing and paddling but but think about you know last year perhaps during the floods and and the waters as you saw them rising or f- flowing they they were ominous they were. They, they were anxiety producing, they signaled disruption and, and disorder and danger and unpredictableness and suffering. And it's, it's that kind of vibe. Throughout the whole Old Testament, God thunders against waves and he tramples them and he cleaves them in two and he rebukes them and that kind of language he's very aggressive towards waves and water so put that kind of like aggressive thought into your head and then reread verses 8 to 11 it's a strikingly absurd image when the waters of chaos and evil and death were born god gently picks that infant up and wraps it in a blanket That's an absurd image, don't you think? Verse 9 in the CSB, there's like a little footnote. The blanket is literally swaddling clothes. Right? The raging waters of death and chaos. God wraps in a blanket and puts them in a playpen so they can't crawl around and, and create chaos everywhere with their little infant tantrum. That's the image. That's a very arresting image, don't you think? The most fearsome symbol of chaos and suffering and damage is like a newborn infant that he wraps up and puts in a little playpen. And the point of that image is not to minimize or to dismiss Job's struggle. You know, It's not to hand wave it off like it's not actually a big deal. The point of it is it's supposed to land that evil has a limit. You may come this far and no farther. Your proud waves stop here. Verse 11, evil has a limit. To us, the ocean is overwhelming, you know, and when you're out in the middle of it, you forget just how big it is. But to God, it's a little baby. And and even the weakest among us can subdue a baby. You know, it's not like mum comes home and the husband is there like beat up and hog tied to the chair. And the wife's like, well, what happened? And the husband is like, that baby just overpowered me. I don't know what to tell you. I, it's swift, it's cunning, and it hog-tied me to the chair. Its little hands are quite dexterous. Right, between God and the power of evil, there is no contest. It's a little baby. But also, the image is perhaps surprisingly, it tells us that there is a temporary place for evil in the creation. That might be a bit surprising. The world is not the perfect paradise where nothing wrong is ever allowed to happen. One aspect of the order that God imposes on his creation is to allow for some restrained contained chaos. For now, but not forever. But that doesn't mean that the world is therefore a place that is out of control and chaos and disorder. God has chaos under strict limits and he is surprisingly even kinder towards chaos than you might think he is. He wraps it in a blanket, comforts it, cuddles it like a mum with a newborn. Isn't that a strange image? The world is happier, more joyful, and even the chaos is more good than you think it is. And God is even kinder than you even imagined he was. Which brings us to then the second half of this speech, verses 39 of chapter 8, all the way through to the end of chapter 39. And in these verses, we see God's kindness towards animals, his, his care, his nurturing of animals. But if you just scan your eyes through the list in your own Bible to find the animals, you'll notice that the selection is an odd one. It's not sheep and cows and chickens and puppy dogs and kitty cats and bunny rabbits it's lions and ravens and mountain goats and wild donkeys and wild oxen and ostriches and war horses and hawks and eagles. Untamed, uncontrollable, wild, weird, intimidating animals. And these are very specifically chosen animals. This menagerie of circus freaks of the animal kingdom. They're the odd jobs and the weirdos. These are the chaos animals of the ancient culture. And the idea is we take the world and we create farms. You know, we clear the bush, we chop down all the trees, we put up fences, we plant the crops in ordered lines. We keep the predators out. We keep the foxes out. The animals are domesticated. Order is established. The dogs are in. The wolves are out. The weeds are pulled. The plants are pruned. But how do we respond when the wild, untamed world breaks through the fence of our life and chaos and disorder smash through our life like a wrecking ball and our plans and our hopes and our dreams all gone. And God says to Job, take my hand. Let's let's go for a tour of the wild, untamed world. Let's step outside the farm for a moment. And we see God's intimate care of the animals that we can't control. We see God's nurturing of these freaky, weird animals. We see God's kindness in providing for these chaos animals that live in the cracks where death and disorder live. Check out from verse 26 if you have it there. Does the hawk take flight by your understanding and spread its wings to the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and make its nest on high? It lives on a cliff where it spends the night. Its stronghold is on a rocky crag. From there, it searches for prey. Its eyes penetrate the distance. Its brood gulps down blood and where the slain are, It is there. Eagles are awesome. I think we can all agree on that. Especially the ones that live here in Australia. The bald eagle's a bit, how's your father? But the wedge-tailed eagle, (laughs) the wedge-tailed eagle is super impressive, right? They'll, They'll attack a kangaroo. I wouldn't attack a kangaroo super impressive. But they're also like, they're not good. They're impressive, but they're scary and intimidating. And there's a bit of a tension there, isn't there? They're very impressive. We all love them, but they're not good. And they're a bit freaky and you keep your kind of distance from them. They're not bad, isn't that? They're not wrong. So what's the point of these animals that God lists out? The point is, God cares for way more than you think he does. He is much kinder than even you think he is. He cares for and looks after animals that you and I are barely even aware of. And he cares for and he looks after animals that you might think don't quite deserve his care. Maybe you love eagles, but maybe not snakes or spiders or sharks. These classic chaos animals. But he does care for them. He's more kind and more caring than you think he is. And maybe even he's more kind than you are comfortable with him being. And how is this little crazy zoo tour supposed to help Job? Or how is it supposed to help me or you? Well, the point is, if God cares for and is good and kind with chaos animals, then you can be absolutely sure that God cares for you. You can be absolutely sure that he's good towards you. You can be absolutely sure that he is kind with you. It's like when Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, when he says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. Even the hairs of your head have been counted. And for some of us, the count, (laughs) the count gets less every day they're counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He cares for and he provides for the sparrows. He will care for and he will provide for you. You can trust him. He's trustworthy. God wants Job to view the world with wisdom. And in this first Speech. he helps Job to see the world with more truth and more nuance than he did before. This isn't everything that God has to say about suffering and how to cope with it. It's not even everything that God has to say to Job about suffering and how to cope with it. There's more coming in chapters 40 and 41, but this is what he has to say for now, for us, for today. He wants Job to hike down Stupid Mountain. He needs Job to see that there's way more going on than he has any idea about. He needs Job to see that the world is happier and more good and more, joy, more joyful than Job thinks it is. And that within that good order, there is a limited place for chaos now but he also needs Job to see that God runs and rules his creation, not as a tyrant and a destroyer, but as a provider and a sustainer. And that he cares about way more things than Job is aware of. And that he cares way more deeply than Job ever suspected. And that if God cares for the chaos animals, and the animals that we barely understand, then of course, God will care for us. In other words, just because it's raining where you live, doesn't mean it's raining everywhere on the planet. And just because the rain ruins your plans for a lovely picnic, doesn't mean that it serves no purpose in the creation. And just because it rains today, doesn't mean it will rain forever. The sun will come back out again in God's good time. Let's pray. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the book of Job and for the challenge, but the, the clarity that it gives us father we do pray for each one of us whether we are in the mess or whether we are watching from the outside other people father we pray that you would help us to be just that little bit more wise a little bit wiser Mm -hmm. that we would understand a bit more about how your world works and how you work in it and father help us to entrust ourselves to you knowing that if you care for the crazy animals, then you will care for us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.